Hello, and welcome to Marketing Week Explores. I'm Molly Fleming, a reporter at Marketing Week, and welcome. As we near the end of the year, we've decided to gather most of the Marketing Week team to take a look at our favourite campaigns of the year and have a guess at what trends we'll be looking out for in 2020. So today I'm here with news editor Sarah Vizard. Hi. Acting features editor Charlotte Rogers. Hello. And features writer Matt Barker. Hello. First off, can you talk me through your favourite campaigns? Who wants to go first? I will. I should probably... Um, Talk about a bit of a conflict of interest. I'm a massive Huddersfield Town fan. So the Paddy Power Save Our Shirt campaign is a winner for me. Um, basically, it kind of all started where we there was this massive hoax. And as a town fan, this was a bit of an issue because we just had a really difficult season. We'd gone down into the championship and then we saw this shirt and it had our new sponsor, Paddy Power, as a kind of sash across the front of the shirt. And you know the kind of Paddy tone of voice, what that brand is like? You sort of think it could almost be true. So my friends were Googling the FA laws, like, can you have a, a branding this big on a shirt? And we were trying to, my mum was in tears, like, quite frankly, she was crying, um, thinking that we'd, you know, gone too far. We played a friendly in this kit. So I was just like, could not believe this was happening. And then on the Friday of that week, Paddy Power came clean and said it was all a hoax, it was a PR stunt, and actually they were unsponsoring Huddersfield Town. So that meant that while Paddy are our sponsors for a year, they do not have any branding on the front of our shirts because they wanted to return the shirt back to the fans. Their whole mission is to keep kits commercially clean, um, which I love. <laughs> it really got us all going. Um, it was definitely a talking point. We were trending all over the world, which never happens to Huddersfield Town. Um, and yeah, I thought it was um, an excellent campaign. It's since gone out to um, a number of other sides, including Newport County, Motherwell, Southend United and Macclesfield Town. Yeah, I mean, what's so successful about it is that, so the campaign generated more than a billion impressions during its launch week and an estimated 1.5 million in media value. And Huddersfield Town's unsponsored shirt is one of the best sellers in the country. Um, and they've already had an unsponsored derby between uh, Newport and Macclesfield. So they've given out the first piece of silverware of the season. So I think it's been a great campaign in terms of column inches, creating a buzz, but also for Paddy Power to kind of stand out in comparison to the other, the other gambling brands. Um, you know, there's been a lot of criticism around gambling brands and their encroachment into football um, and how it's not good for fans, it's not good for young fans. So I think Paddy have managed to kind of take the moral high ground but also, um, yeah, create a real buzz around their brand. What about you, Matt? Um, I really like the Warburton's Robert De Niro ad. Um, I mean, it was obviously a bit daft in, in terms of the storyline and so on. And they've got a bit of previous on this. They had Sylvester Stallone, the Muppets, and and and, and Peter Kay. So they've they've kind of had a few star turns in in the past, in the recent past. And with all due respect to the Muppets and Peter Kay, I think having De Niro on was such a big kind of eye raising water cooler moment um it, it i mean it was would have been so easy for them to sort of fall back on on you know ideas of tradition go go down the kind of the hovis route which i know they've done in the past i thought it was magnificently timed um it was a lovely balance between sort of knowingness um and and just a confidence of a brand that's successful and knows you can kind of muck around with things a little bit but also it, it, I, I didn't know they did bagels you know and i'm a big fan of bagels and i thought Ooh, those bagels. Yeah, I covered it actually when it came out and interviewed Warburton's and it is really funny that it gained so many headlines that Robert De Niro had to come out and to discuss why he decided to do the ad, which I quite enjoyed and it was, yeah, it was De Niro saying, 
New York is where bagels are heralded from and you don't get to touch our bagels. I think Warburton's do it really well. They create such good talkability. Um, yeah, I agree. I really enjoyed that ad. It's such a family-run business mm. and they could totally go down the traditional route, but they've chosen to do something very out of the box. And like you say, it's self-aware, I think. I think for both of those, these were real talkability moments, which is quite interesting. Do you think we'll see kind of more of that? Is that the kind of campaigns you like, those water cooler moments 100 i think um from paddy's perspective it, people were kind of talking because they have this reputation and i think only they could have created that moment where people honestly believe that could be a real sponsorship and they had really gone that far so i think it had people talking regardless of whether you were a Huddersfield town fan or not um and i think it kind of made a, a point yeah but i, I think there'll be a lot more of that but again Interesting to see where Warburton's in particular go next with this, who they can get into top De Niro. Mm. I don't know. You know, we really just go back to the to the Muppets again. So, Sarah, what is your favourite campaign of 2019? Uh, so I have plumped for Carlsberg's Probably Not campaign, which I know, Molly, you know quite a lot about. <laughs> I seem to yeah. remember us sitting well into one evening uh, writing that up. Yeah, very, very late in the day. But it was, I think, a story that was really worth writing up. Um, that kind of Carlsberg probably slogan is world famous. And I think p- people really enjoy that advertising. But I think they probably haven't really been enjoying the beer so much. I don't know about anyone else, but like if someone handed me a pint of Carlsberg, I'd be pretty tempted to hand it straight on back to them, <laughs> even if it was given to me for free. And I think it was really um, honest of them and to actually kind of recognise that and do something to try to turn that around. And I think sort of the, the way that they did it was so clever. I mean, it was takes quite a brave brand, and, and brave is something that gets bandied around a lot in the marketing industry, but it's quite brave to, you know, promote tweets where people have called your beer the rancid piss of Satan, <laughs> and like the bathwater that your nan died in. Uh, that could easily have backfired. But actually, it worked really well with the, with the rest of the campaign. I think that's another thing that makes this such an interesting campaign, is it wasn't just a little bit of this here or a little bit of that there. There was the Twitter activity, there was all the stuff they did in outdoor and print about probably not the best beer in the world anymore. The nice uh, TV ad that they put out with their brand ambassador, Mads Mikkelsen, that kind of took in what they've been doing before, but then sort of changed the perception of the brand. And also, as with any of these things, it's it's not just an advertising story. This is a proper big marketing story. This is them looking at their product, their promotion, their positioning, their pricing, looking at brand in the round doing something to try to turn around declining sales and it's so rare you hear all of those aspects come through in like an ad campaign yeah it was incredibly well thought out wasn't it um i really enjoyed it as well did you what did you think about it about? oh but again it, it, it's it's about risk isn't it we were sort of mentioning that before about dear old warburton's but it's, it's having that confidence as a brand um to sort of muck around with things and and, and it's kind of it's engaging the user, isn't it? The consumer as well. It's sort of saying, we know this. You know, you know that we know that I know that, you know. So, it, 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 yeah, I, I think in terms of providing a deeper engagement, it's good. But it also, I just think it's, it's a great kind of show-off thing. It's just saying, we've got the confidence to do this. It has made me, and I probably know a bit more about it than most normal consumers would do, but it has made me rethink the brand. And I have, you know, I have tried it a couple of times and the bottle feels different, the glass feels different. Most of the time, I'm not going to drink Carlsberg. I'm still going to drink Camden Hells or a Moretti or whatever it is. <laughs> but I would now, if someone handed me a Carlsberg, I would drink it now. So, I mean, that's something. Improvement. <laughs> yeah, it was an incredibly 
well thought out campaign, like 360 degrees, which is often said, but not often done. So I think it was really impressive. Now it's been a change making year. There's a new Unilever CMO and CEO, more ambitious sustainability goals than ever before and more diverse campaigns than I've personally ever seen. But what's in store for 2020? Charlotte, what's a trend you're looking out for in 2020? So definitely this kind of idea around the potential regulation of social media giants, um, especially with uh, US presidential hopeful Elizabeth Warren. She talks a lot about the big, the breakup of the big tech at giants like Facebook, Google and Amazon. Um, and she talks about the need to regulate them as if they were utilities. So she says that um, there should be regulators appointed who can unwind their quote, illegal and anti-competitive tech mergers. And she says that they should be prevented from making acquisitions, taxed far more heavily and required to adhere to stringent privacy regulations. Um, And what's interesting is that, yes, she's a Democrat and yes, she comes from a really progressive wing of the party, but it's not just her that's this kind of thinking this. Support seems to be growing for the idea. Um, A poll in Vox said that close to two thirds of Americans would support the idea of breaking up tech firms by undoing recent mergers such as Facebook's acquisition of Instagram, if it meant greater competition. So I think post Cambridge Analytica, people are thinking differently around, well, how is my data being used? Is it being used, you know, for the right causes? And the kind of everything that's happened with Facebook around political advertising, not just here in the UK, but with the presidential race kicking into full force next year, they need to kind of think about their positioning and and whether, um, you know, people are losing faith um, with social media companies. I think that this has had a, a knock-on effect of Facebook's uh, Libra cryptocurrency. So they're kind of fighting through a lot of opposition with people sort of saying, we don't, well, US lawmakers um, not really supporting the idea that Facebook um, are pro-transparency. And I think this comes from this legacy around Cambridge Analytica and the data scandal. Um, so I think there is pressure mounting um on regulation and I think it depends who gets in the White House as to whether this might happen. It's interesting as well because the Unilever CMO was literally announced this week and she has now got digital in her title, Chief Dig- and before marketing is Chief Digital Marketing Officer. So it shows that there's also a desire from you know big companies, Unilever is a trendsetter when it comes to their real leader in the marketing world. It shows that there's a desire from brands as well. It feels like seven years ago, five years ago, they were all desperate to be best friends with Silicon Valley. And now there's a real distancing, which I think is quite interesting. Yeah, I think they're much more wary. And I think they have to be. There's been brand safety scandals. You know, consumer trust is like a really low point with especially platforms like Facebook to the point where brands can't ignore this and they have to take a stand on it. Um, And I think they're, you know, are more and more willing to do so. But whether they can truly separate themselves financially from these platforms will be, you know, the real kind of crux of the issue, whether they can wean themselves off these platforms if they think that they are dropping below the standards they would wish them to keep. Mm. What about you, Matt? What what have you got your eye on for next year? Well, uh, sport. Mainly on the telly, probably on, on from the sofa. But I mean, you know, it, it, 2019 was a big sport year. I think 2020 is, is going to be even bigger, really. I mean, this year we've had, uh, you know, the, the Women's World Cup in France. We've had the Rugby World Cup next year. We've got the Tokyo Olympics. We've got the European Football Championships, which are taking part at various uh, locations around the continent. Um, cricket's doing a lot. There's a couple of new tournaments there. Um, so there's going to be a lot going on and I think what we've seen this year what we're going to see hopefully a lot more in, into next year as well is sports sponsorship 
kind of taking a more of a grassroots approach and, and finding a story uh, it, within the smaller picture. And I think this is something really that a lot of the kind of the footwear sportswear giants like Nike and Adidas started up about 10 years ago, but they would always have with things like uh, Nike's Park Life. Uh, they would always, you know, they couldn't resist having a brand ambassador in there somewhere. So suddenly, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo would suddenly appear on a favela playground with these kids or on Hackney Marshes, wherever it happened to be. But I think what's been happening now, what's been happening a lot around women's football in particular, um, is just looking at smaller stories in, in, in terms of kind of human interest stuff, really, about a lot of kids playing football, how they're getting into it and how that's kind of affecting their everyday lives, rather than having some big blinged up star sort of doing a couple of tricks um, in, in front of adoring fans or whatever. There's a kind of a deeper dive going on. Visa, uh, a year ago, signed a seven-year deal um, with UEFA to promote women's football, but as much as promoting it, also to develop it. So I think in terms of involvement with the sports now, it's, it, it's, it's getting a lot more kind of deeper, as I said. Um, there's, there's a greater interest in it. I mean, there's a, you could argue that there's... there's there's a purity about the women's game, you know, it's not been spoiled by scandal, it's not been spoiled by sort of ridiculous weekly wages and so on. And I think that there's a greater connection with, with sort of everyday lives. Women footballers are a lot more accessible. They've got interesting backstories, a lot of them. And so it, it lends itself really nicely to this kind of deeper storytelling that, that brands seem to be liking now. That kind of dovetails as well with, with uh, I think, a greater interest in, in telling longer form stories. Um, it's not just football, of course. Football always tends to hog all the headlines, but you've got things like uh, rugby. The Guinness did, uh, during the Rugby World Cup, Guinness did some really nice little adverts called Liberty Fields, which was looking at um, sort of pioneers of women's rugby in Japan. Um, and, and, you know, stuff like that's going on at the moment, which I think is really interesting. It's exciting time because there's a lot, as I said, there's a lot of storytelling and a lot of potentially really interesting content out there to be So do you seeing. think the kind of future for sports sponsorship is less... Is more about storytelling than it's ever been before. Yeah, and I think it's more about having a deeper relationship as well between you know brand partnership. I think with sort of greater engagement with, with the actual the actual sports, which which um, you know not just in terms of the top level, so not just about footballers at, at the top level, but also about grassroots and about you know um, helping helping the game sort of develop. So Sarah, what are you looking forward to to next year, or what are you watching closely? Looking forward to it is probably a slight exaggeration on this one, but watching closely, I think, is probably more what it is. I think I've been writing about kind of digital media and media measurement for six years, so we've sort of, especially over the last two or three years, you've seen a lot more scrutiny of digital media, a lot more scrutiny of measurement, a lot of talk from brands, a lot of, this must change, we must do something about this, and not really, I don't think, that much action going on. Lots of, oh, YouTube going, oh, yes, we're listening, and Facebook going, oh, yes, we're listening as well, but... I don't think things have actually changed that much, but we've seen in the last few months just a few things that make you think that actually maybe now is the time when we can finally get towards some sort of like global media measurement framework. You've got big advertisers like Unilever, like P&G, like Mastercard, they're trying to team up to tackle this. Uh, there's all sorts of sort of working groups and coalitions going on. I think there was a lot of sort of lower level stuff that needs sorting out in digital media. And with some of that sort of done, they're now going, come on, guys, we need to really mm. pick this up and really find a, a good way of kind of measuring digital media and understanding how our advertising is working across the landscape, not just with these stats that Google give us and these stats that Facebook give us. Yeah, I guess it's kind of similar to Charlotte's in the sense that Charlotte's going down the route of we need to clean up digital advertising, we need more regulation 
but from the brand side of it, they're also trying to get uh, value for money, I guess, as well. Yeah, and that is the key. I mean, we've seen from brands like P&G and from Unilever that they will pull or they will reduce their spending mm. if these things aren't sorted out. And I think that lots of people thought that that wasn't something that they would do, that they would just continue investing. And Unilever's new CMO, having the digital and marketing officer, you know, it's a sign that these things are really high on the priority list for brands now. It's really important for them to get their head around digital. And I think in a lot of cases, a lot of the platforms, a lot of the agencies were kind of able to kind of pull the wool over the eyes of lots of brands. They were like, oh, put some money in this. This is a new sexy, shiny thing over here. Oh, you don't need metrics. You don't need to understand the measurement. It'll all be fine because this is where all the consumers are. And I think they're actually going, well, actually, we've been spending, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds here and we don't really see what it's doing. And there's no way of us telling what, a Facebook video versus a cinema ad versus a, a TV ad is doing, and we need to be able to understand that better. And I think we'll see more scrutiny of that. And hopefully, you know, the publishers and agencies and everyone will work together towards this because it's it can only help the ad industry. If you look at some of the figures around it, um, there was some stuff in the Advertising Association that trust in advertising has fallen from fifty percent in the early nineteen nineties to twenty five percent last year. You know, a lot of that is because of all the issues in digital media. People just don't trust what they're seeing. They don't trust what brands are doing. They don't trust what publishers are doing. If you can start to get some of that transparency and trust back, it, it helps everyone. More collaboration. In More 20, collaboration. In 2020. And I think that's all we've got time for. We hope you enjoyed this week's Marketing Week Explores. We're keen to hear your opinions, so please do tweet us at Marketing Week Ed. And as ever, if you want to read the content we've been discussing or get more of the best marketing news and insight, go to our website, marketingweek.com. Subscribe to us across SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify. And you can also subscribe to our other podcast, Marketing Week Meets. That just leaves me to thank Sarah, Matt and Charlotte and you for listening. Merry Christmas and we'll see you in 2020.